You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. People like Todd Hallsdorf are a huge part of why I love doing this podcast. Todd in particular is exceptionally fun to talk to and shared some great insights on what traits and practices make entrepreneurs successful. Todd bought into his engineering company about 20 years ago and led it through two really major growth transformations before selling in 2013. One of the things I most like about his story is his flexible, opportunistic approach to identifying and creating value. So I hope you'll find this conversation as interesting and valuable as I did. It was a engineering and construction business. Um, when I say engineering, full service. We uh, designed and built facilities for advanced technology businesses. So um, semiconductor would be would have been the, the biggest grouping of, of clients. Solar was a big um, grouping of clients. Medical products, medical devices, a little bit of biopharmaceutical, those kind of things uh, were, were the types of projects that we would do. And uh, we would design mainly the facility systems, or if those companies were going to change a manufacturing process, then we would uh, adjust their current facilities and you know manufacturing tools to uh, to accommodate their new processes. So, how did you get involved in the company? I started back in 1996. I was uh, I was just interviewing for jobs, and I I had three offers at the time. One was in Idaho with a construction company doing classification of nuclear waste. Um, another was down in Corvallis, um, making they, they were making a product, a tool for the semiconductor business. And then the third was a design company in a trailer on a large client's campus here in in, uh, in Aloha. And I was considering each one of them, and I just just felt like going with the smaller company that. Um, you know, that was going to be, that give you more of a variety of things that you'd be working on. I always liked the idea of consulting and then you're working with different customers and different problems. And so, uh, so I, I chose that over the other three, uh, over the other two and, uh, and, and entered the field that way. How long was it before you were doing more of like a managerial role for it? In 1998, the owner passed away. He was pretty young. He was my age now, basically. He was like 47, 48, and uh, had some kind of aneurysm or something and passed away really suddenly. And there was about 20 of us in the company. So his wife ended up inheriting the company. And three of us put together a proposal to her to buy the company from her and then join with Evergreen Engineering. So the company before that was uh, called Pacific Rim Design. And then uh, so we, we joined together with uh, an existing firm, which was Evergreen Engineering. And um, anyway, we formed their high-tech business at that time. So you guys serve a pretty broad set of industries. How did that evolve over time? How did you get into new things? Mostly, I would say that our our projects would come through word of mouth or just different industry connections or we would clients that we would work with. They would they were typically say facilities engineers or project engineers at a at a client project managers, and then they would move to another client. We would go work with them at those places. So just mostly through networking and that kind of thing. Very little that was through uh, like a formal sales type process. We over the years we did hire business development or salespeople, but it didn't usually work very well for us. I would say word of mouth and, and networking. Is it hard branching into a new industry or is it, most of them actually are pretty similar? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll just say the examples were uh, like with solar, the way we got into solar was there was a big boom going on with solar and um, we had done work at a facility that was a, had been a semiconductor manufacturing facility got bought by a solar manufacturer 
and then that got us into solar. And then it turned into be turned into the largest at the time it was the largest solar manufacturing facility in the United States. And so just by being a part of that project, it opened up all kinds of other opportunities in solar manufacturing for us. Um, pharmaceutical, we. Be, being in the semiconductor business, we learned a lot about clean rooms and kind of got a little bit of a specialization. And so we uh, we set up an, uh, an arrangement with a clean room vendor, a, a supplier of clean rooms, and they actually just provided us with leads. So someone would contact them about uh, you know purchasing their clean room product, and they would then just provide those leads over to us. We would go talk to that customer, develop you know do the engineering, do the construction, and then put in that clean room system. And so that was a way we, we and that got us into a pharmaceutical. Okay. It's just through clean rooms. So really like, even though they are pretty different, like the end products are pretty different, the underlying stuff that you were doing for them, is, there's like a lot of overlap. Similarities, yeah. So high purity um, piping is a similarity, uh, control systems that are very uh, technical in, in terms of how they control their, um, their environments and uh, clean rooms would be would be three common ones the other one are, are hazardous occupancies so chemicals and hazardous things that uh, there's specialty codes that you have to be a part of and and be very 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 familiar with and so that specialization um, helped us quite a bit getting into those areas as well so for you as a owner or partner like what's the main stuff that you're responsible for in the evergreen days uh it was very i would call it similar to um to the way that a uh, an architecture, or I'll say architecture is obvious, but say a l- law firm or an accounting firm or any professional services firm are typically organized to where each partner in the business has is responsible for a book of business. And so uh, they're responsible for building that book of business, for maintaining those customers, for growing that book of business. And so that's how we organized initially was not so much for via a, a traditional I'll say corporate hierarchy, we organize more on a partnership type of a model. So, um, so, and we would bring, when we bring on a partner, that was a way that we could add more business to the, you know, to the company. So they would bring sometimes customers with them, you know, and then we could grow that way. You know, that, so my job was, I was very much engaged with clients very directly, um, helping manage their projects, helping you know them develop projects. And then um, I had the, I'll say kind of side responsibility of, Kind of being the managing partner through most of that time period from 1998 was when uh, then when I started the LLC with those three partners, and then um, th- and then 2013 was when we sold it, and so through most of that time period I, I had the managing partner's responsibility. So I would, you know, I would oversee the accounting and some of those things. To the, it was, but it was very much a side thing. You know, it was like you had to do it to manage to have a business. You know, it was it wasn't the primary focus as a just how we operated. So as far as bringing in new businesses is concerned, I guess something I wanted to ask you about, because you don't strike me as like a typical salesman type. You're, you're uh, a little bit on the quiet side, just like very thoughtful. What's worked well for you with your personality type and like bringing in new business? Right. Um, I think it was helping to connect to the customer's problem, really, and be able to convey to them, you know, an understanding of that problem and then be able to um, pretty pretty quickly get them to where they had a vision of you know of what the you know what uh what their new facility or what you know that we that, that I would be able to convey to them very quickly what the solution set would be and and so I think that really connected well with customers uh, I, I think that was a, a big part of it and and that's that was where my passion always was was 
kind of the early stage problem solving. So getting to where you, you know, you could get a vision as to how a project was going to develop. And, and once you got to that point, then I wasn't so, in, you know, I, I wasn't uh, someone who would put every nut and bolt into the design. I, you know, I would hand that off to other people. But um, working with the customers on the front end, I think that helped. Um, so you, you had to get to them first, right? Which was, that's more, like I said, it was mainly relationship and um, word of mouth and you know customers uh, moving from place to place. But then once there, it was being able to quickly kind of diagnose their, you know, what they were trying to uh, achieve and then, um, you know, and then help convey a, a solution to them. So just knowing what the heck you're talking about. I think that's, <laughs> but as it, it's also being able to communicate it. So that, I see a lot of people who are really good at uh, problem solving. Well, first they start with uh, being really good at problem finding. So that doesn't work very well in consulting because it's, it's like kind of easy to find problems in a lot of ways. It's important, but it's also easy. And then, then you got to get move quickly to solving, right? And be able to conceive, you know, conceptually be able to, con- commu- and then, and then communication, right? So, being able to c- communicate that concept to a customer, and so that that's a key skill set that um, kind of narrows the you know number of people that um, are able to do that. An additional key skill set is having business skills or savvy. Um, a lot of people could get through those first three and then not have the business understanding. And so therefore they would be losing money on projects a lot or not, um, you know, not being willing to have difficult, you know, communication with customers about, you know, when something changes, all these kind of things. So you, you always had to keep the business in mind in order to be successful with it. Not that that helps you sell necessarily, but it kind of, it does in, in a way. You never go back. Let's put it this way. They never come back to you if you don't have those conversations because <laughs> either A, you've lost money and you don't want to do it anymore, or B, the project goes bad and they don't want to come back to you. So that, you know, a lot of it's on repeat business. So that's that's what I mean by that. What were some of the early experiences that let you develop those skills? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the business one is just, I, I really don't know how I learned the business part. I know I remember in high school, I took a business class and I, I was business student of the year for the for my high school, which- Based on what? I My teacher selected, I guess. And so I, I, I always liked business, but I don't know how, I mean, I, I can't say how that developed necessarily. Um, I mean, I, you know, I just worked like odd jobs as a, you know, a kid, you know, paper routes and things like that. But uh, so I don't really know how that developed. But um, but like my brother is similarly, he's uh, very entrepreneurial and, you know, kind of went down that path. So I can't explain why that is, but uh, but it seemed to come somewhat naturally for me. Um, uh, the, the president of the original Evergreen Engineering, he used to call it, you know, just common sense. And I think to some people it feels like that to me, it always did. But it doesn't always feel like that to people. So I don't you know I don't like to call it necessarily common sense, but. If you if you have that perspective, then you kind of feel like it's common sense, you know. So I don't know how, how to best to describe how you get that sense. Right? Well, I'd be curious what you think. What are other traits that you think of that make someone a good entrepreneur? Um, I think the number one trait that makes people a good entrepreneur is being able to recognize value. So, um, it, and what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, people oftentimes will will attach value to various different things, but in in business, being able to identify something that's of value and that will be of value to customers, to end users, to to you know whomever, I think that is a 
is really important to start with, right? Some things are obvious, but others early on, especially they're not obvious and it takes time to kind of recognize that for, for others to recognize it. Um, and so I think that's a big one. I think working, you know, I'm just really being willing to, to, to put in a, a you know, tremendous amount of time and energy into what it, once you recognize that value, putting the time and energy, energy into making it into something real is, uh, is, is another huge, huge trait there. And then the other skills, I mean, the, I'd say the basics are communication, being able to build trust with people, you know, all the things you have to have to, to get investors engaged, to, you know, to, to get partners to be willing to work with you, all those kind of things are, you know, I'd say more secondary, but, but I think really that ability to recognize value and then go and put everything into it to get, you know, to, to achieve that value is really important. How many hours a week were you putting in the early days? Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember back then. I, I, I mean, there were times where it was just absolutely crazy where we, you know, I mean, we were working nights and weekends and everything and for time periods. And that, but it's, we were project based. So you would you'd do a you know, really, really big push for a big project and then it would kind of die down. And my the approach I developed over time was really to take advantage of those downtimes and not you know, not, not um, let them, you know, you take advantage of that so you get some, some time to yourself or to your family and so on. So that was, I always use that approach. You know, if it was, if we had a little bit of downtime, I'd try and take advantage of that wherever I could. But, um, but I, I guess I, the other part, I, the other approach I always used was uh, in the professional services business is very much built on uh, being able to delegate work to uh, the the lowest level that is capable of executing it, right? And that's a that's another skill set is being able you know to identify that work and convey it to someone, get them to be able to to do that, and then oversee it, make sure that they get it done. So one of the things I would do whenever I would get into those really busy periods would be r- rapidly you know getting more people lined up, hiring, doing everything I could to delegate so that it wouldn't be crazy. And, uh, and I saw, I would see a lot of people, once you got into those big projects, they would just kind of freeze up, you know, they would just try and take it all on and then end up failing and so, uh, or killing themselves with work. So I, I always really pushed a lot to try and um, as quickly as possible, bring on people, delegate and bring that workload down. So I felt like I got pretty good at that over time. I mean, that seems like something that comes up a lot in the conversations. Were, were there any other early obstacles that you had to deal with? In terms of the business, oh yeah, a lot of early obstacles. Um, well, one to start with was that the, the of those three original partners, uh, one was kind of the senior person in the the prior firm, and ended up you know there were several of those kind of basic uh, traits that I've described that you know were a struggle. Like for example, really strong technically, really good with people, really good with communicating, but not the business side, and so. Pretty quickly, we'd have projects that would go bad, and you know, clients unhappy, and so on. And so, so then eventually had to make a change there. Um, and I was very young. I mean, I started in '96. I was 26 years old, and so, you know, it was only or '98. I was 28. So um, when we started the LLC, and so, um, so it wasn't very long before these problems started coming up, but I didn't really feel like I was, I was ready to just jump in. So a lot of it was kind of coaching, not, I wouldn't say coaching, but helping him to be successful for, for a, a long enough time period to where things got bad enough that um, it's kind of forced to, to take that, um, the leadership role on. So that was a big hurdle. 
all I mean, there's so many personnel issues that you, <laughs> when you go from, uh, we went from, you know, 15 to 20 people when we first started. I don't remember the exact number to 300 people when we sold it. So over that, and, and with a lot of growth, there was a lot of turnover. It was just, there's a myriad, you know, so many different personnel things. And then the other big one was we had investors, the original Evergreen, they, they were really just investors in it. We set up a separate LLC. We ran it completely ourselves. And so kind of uh, a lot of, you know, I, I'd call it, we spent a lot of time on pie splitting, you know, so how, you know, the company was doing really well. And so there was always uh, just a tremendous amount of energy toward uh, pie splitting, toward um, uh, succession planning, toward all these kind of things that uh, we were just kind of coming up with from scratch because we didn't have anything at the time. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's probably a, a million other challenges, but those were, those were big ones. I believe it. <laughs> Is there anything, like if you had to start over kind of in those early days, is there anything you'd do differently? I don't, I mean, it's hard to look at things like that. I, I don't really, I haven't thought of anything like that because I, I kind of see it as, um, it wasn't anything mapped out. You know what I mean? Like when I started with, you know, with the business, I never in a million years would have thought of where it ended up. So it was really just taking advantage of opportunities as they came along, positioning. Once you saw value in something and then, working hard to position yourself to to maximize that value right and and um but you would never have been able to predict what that was it was it was a professional services business that was very agile and a bill you know and, and very good at um adjusting and and maneuvering to to be in position for opportunities and you know to maximize those and so um so it, which is very different the company now with ssoe is built much more along the lines of traditional companies set a strategic direction and, you know, really work toward that strategic direction. Back in that time period, it was, the, it was almost the opposite. It was more like just look at opportunities as they're out there. And then once you find ones that can really boost the business and grow the business, latch onto those and ride, take a ride. You know, I mean, that's basically how I would describe it. And then as you took that ride, then you're looking at what's in the, or at a different level somewhat. And now you have bigger opportunities and you're kind of latching onto the ones that are going to take you on that next ride. And we got enough of those over a time period to where it was really able to grow the business. So it was just a very different, you know, uh, different, at least different from, uh, I think most traditional set your business plan, you know, go and work to that business plan. That's not how we operated at all. Um, so it's hard to look back and say, you know, anything that you would really necessarily do. There was time wasted on things that we thought were going to be good. Um, like, uh, wine, the winery business, for example, we did a little foray into that and realized, yeah, that's not a good fit. And so we dropped it. But even then, it was an enjoyable experience. I talk about it all the time because it was unique, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I, would, I, would, I don't think I would really change much that I can think of. That's interesting. Why do you think you decided to run your business that way when it seems like, or, I mean, maybe the other way, why do you think some people try and run it in such a top-down way where they choose a destination and kind of set their sails to get there? I don't know, but I've 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 met people and talked to personal friends and others who've lived their whole life that way, right? Where it's you know I, I want to do this and I want to be at this point at this stage of my life, and they build everything around that, and that's how they, they build talk their, about like five year plans. Yeah, exactly. And I just never connected to that. In fact, it was such a foreign concept to me. I remember talking to you know a good friend, and he was describing this to me, and I just I couldn't imagine that concept. I just don't you know it's just not it was just very foreign to me. You know, I just didn't think 
of life that way. So um, I still don't. I still struggle with that, uh, even at this stage of my life. So it's. Uh, I think it's just a different. You know, people just look at the world through a different lens sometimes, and I think I can't really explain why that is. But um, it worked well for me, and you know, it, over time, and I think it's been. Uh, you know, I think it's worked well still today. I mean, it's as as opportunities come up, I'm much more geared toward a, you know, kind of once you I recognize an opportunity, shifting over and going and you know, attacking that opportunity, and enjoying that, than kind of trying to you know brainstorm around what opportunity do I want to go and tackle. You know, so but it's just a way of I don't know a way of thinking, I guess. I think I'm probably in the same boat you are, where like you don't really understand the other way of doing it because you can only make decisions based on like the information that's like right in front of you you can't i don't know like you can't see what's going to be seven years out like i don't know like some people create successful business plans and they're able to carry it out but it seems like maybe they're like shooting themselves in the foot a little bit by being rigid right i would also say it's it's related to a level of uh, people have a certain belief some people do, and or I call it a fantasy of control, right? So it makes people feel like they have more control over things, I think, and that makes them feel more secure. And I remember that early on in my career. When I first, before I started the business, I was working at Westinghouse in a nuclear reprocessing facility in Idaho. And, um, and very quickly, I mean, I, I, I got this job and it was a temporary, you know, set up as contract to hire. And um, so we were all just thinking we're going to get hired. Well, um, Cold War was ending. Government funding was drying up for these things, and um, and so they started, you know, cutting back. and And all these people who thought they had this really secure, you know, situation, you know, really controlled environment, it wasn't, you know. And so that's where I, and it was right out of school. So, you know, immediately I think I connected with the idea that yeah, you can't really count on companies to take care of you so you know you want to go and do something that's going to you're, you're going to be able to I guess I would say go on your own I, I just always had that uh, that mindset of in fact six months out of school we set up a business um, doing consulting for that you know we basically outsourced our own jobs and um, so I was 22 years old when I set up the very first business um, me and another guy we set up that and we did it for three years and it was re- very good you know I mean it was we we basically doubled our or more than doubled, probably tripled our, our uh, earnings over that time period. And, um, you know, and, and, and anyway, that's another story if you want to get into it. Oh, yeah, let's, let's get into <laughs> okay. it. Yeah. Well, it was int- well, basically what happened was is they decided they were going to outsource the function that we had started getting training on. And so we, we basically were, I would say, maybe six months in. We got all this training. We were, you know, in, in the middle of this uh, government program. And, um, and they decided they were going to outsource it. So... So one of the guys, we were all recent college grads. Well, one of them had gone back to school after running his own contracting business. He was a, a carpenter. And um, so he approached, there was a group of seven. He approached um, us, He approached all of us and said, hey, why don't we go do this ourselves and we'll set up a business and we'll contract it out. They're, you know, it's, it's what we're doing, you know, why not? And um, I remember the conversation so clearly because we were out in a, a, a coal-fired power plant on the on the campus, and um, and here we all right you know 22 year olds and we got this like you know 35 year old who's you know talking to us about this and and I'm like yeah let's go do it and and all the other ones were you know just no I think I'll go look for a job you know I mean it was just it just it was foreign to them you know and so. We uh, so we went off and did it, and uh, we set up the business. We 
bid the work, we won it. And it, it was over a, a good, you know, I would say, say four or five month period, right, where it was very questionable. I mean, I worked at a car dealership in, in the middle of that, just trying to make ends meet while I'm, you know, while we're finding out if we're going to win this. And, um, and then all those people were still looking for work. So they all came back and worked for us. And so, you know, then we were, you know, we were running the company and we did that, like I said, for three years. And, it, and again, even that evolved. We won other contracts and, you know, did other things. And so, uh, so we did that, um, you know, over that time period. And they all ended up working for us for the whole time. So it was kind of, a, it was an interesting thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience. Yeah. Do you think that the way you look at things can be taught to people? <sighs> That's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I've struggled with that my whole career. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I guess I'd say I want to believe that you can do that, but I've never put enough energy into it to do that. So my philosophy, had, you know, has really always been, and even today is if, you know, you work with people and you get a feel for pretty quickly for competence and, you know, can you trust them and all these things. And if they pick things up quickly, then it's something you know that people kind of have to learn and show on their own. I, I would say I haven't personally put the energy ever into that. I just never had the time or inclination to do that. And so our company today, you know, puts a lot of energy into um, you know development of people, which I think is a very good thing, and I'm, I'm I admire it a lot. And it wasn't how I ran the business or wasn't successful that way. So I I don't have enough uh, experience as I went through that whole time period to say that you could do it. And, uh, and I would have conversations with people and share things, but, you know, not, not to where I could feel like it, I could, it could be taught, you know. So I don't know. I'm not sure. One experience I'll share, though, is I went to uh, – uh, my daughter went to University of Portland, and um, I went when she's in the business school. So I went to a you know a parents' day there or something, and they they had entrepreneurship students come and speak and kind of do their uh, or elevator speeches, right? So they presented their elevators, and I was so impressed with some of those kids. I was just like, wow, they, you know, you, you just immediately some of them, you know, you just got well, I, I want to invest in that. You know, I was so impressed, <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, I'm I don't know how their program works or how you know how it all has gone, but I was I was very impressed with that. So it gave me a hope that yeah that's something that people are learning that way you know but uh but i don't know i haven't i haven't looked at it enough to get that have you seen i mean i'm curious if anyone's doing any studies that go deeper you know what i mean like into their backgrounds or what the way you know how they grew up or any have you seen anything I'd like that curious i've heard one thing where uh i guess the like you know 30 percent of your likelihood of being an entrepreneur can be explained just by genetics oh really yeah so literally like the least changeable part about you is like a solid third has like a third of the explanatory power interesting do you want to talk a little bit about your decision to sell the business like what what kind of stuff did you consider when you decided to do that so what happened was um it kind of was filled unfolded over a several year period so be way before that, and as we were growing the company, and, and uh, we were just to, you know, kind of briefly, the way the the cycle went over that time period was ninety um, eight. We started with about you know say fifteen twenty people two thousand or ninety nine. So uh, ninety nine to two thousand, we won a very large project, much bigger than what we would have ever tried to tackle. But it started off as taking a factory and just uh, putting a very specific process in a corner of that factory. And then as soon as we started the project, the customer said, we need to build out the whole thing. 
and we were already in it and we didn't really think about can we do it we just jumped in and did it so we grew uh we did a project that probably today it would have been you know a hundred person project and we did it with about 50 to 60 people um and so we grew from 15 to 60 people overnight, right? I mean, within a very short time period. So very much growing pains. And then after that, I swore, I'm never going to do that again. That's crazy. So we, we, we grew, we kind of shrunk a little bit, but then we grew really steadily. We, I think I look back on it, we grew about 20 to 25% a year from 2001 to uh, 2010. 2009. It's like pretty exceptional growth still. Yeah, but you're starting small, but you know, so if you add, you know, five people yeah. or seven, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're getting pretty good growth. Yeah, I mean, but it's not like you're starting with like one, you right, know, you're right, starting yeah. with like 10, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. it's yeah, pretty good. True. Yeah, so it was good. It was a very good uh, growth period. We added construction. Um, so I got my license as a, as a construction contractor. And um, again, it was opportunity based, you know, we were, we've been doing some construction management, and then you get an opportunity. And then, you know, we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it ourselves, you know, and it, so we went ahead and, and did that. So we started another branch of the business. So we anyway, we grew that, um, you know, really steadily, everything was going great and then uh um the the recession the big recession hit and and also also say from that time period in 2001 we worked really hard in diversifying so we had no customer more than 20 percent of our business um the big recession hit and everybody stopped spending solar went away basically the biotech stuff dropped way off semiconductor was the only one that started accelerating their spending through there with uh, kind of the advent of the um, smartphones. And so it went, you know, they just accelerated through that period. And so we, um, so we, at that point, we, we had an opportunity to do, again, what we did back in uh, 2000 time period, right? Where we had to do a massive amount of growth to take on a very big opportunity. And I, like I said, I had sworn that off. I was, that's too much. You know, I mean, we basically grew by 4x overnight and it was just too painful. And so I remember the first conversation when the opportunity came over, I was like, hell no, why would we do that? And then after thinking about it and, you know, kind of considering what all was happening in the marketplace um, and and getting all of our partners here, including the, the original Evergreen uh, partners, that their business through that whole time period had not grown at all. It was wood products based and it had just stayed steady for that whole 98 to 2010. Not quite the same growth industry as smartphones? No, not at all. <laughs> so it was, it was a shrinking industry. So, um, so anyway, we, we all got together and we said, you know what, if we, uh, the agreement we made was if we go do this, then we have to commit that we're gonna grow the business accordingly, right? So we're gonna go take on this big opportunity, which was gonna take us you know, we were gonna have, um, we're gonna get way out of balance with one big customer, but then we have to commit to each other that we're gonna go and grow the business. So you have to do that like four more times for your other segments, is that what you're saying? It, it, roughly, yeah, we, we looked at the other segments that we had and some segments we were interested in getting in. And, and so kind of that idea of we're gonna now set our strategic plan and go grow to it, right? Uh, so essentially doing what hadn't made us successful up till that point. So we brought a consultant in. He, you know, did a big business planning session with us. And uh, as we kind of laid out how big this, you know, this endeavor was, um, several of those original partners were were ready to re getting close to retirement, and they're just like, "No way! I mean, we're just not going to do this." And um, 
but we'd already taken this big project on. <laughs> so I was like, wait a second. <laughs> we agreed we were going to do this. And then once we got into the real you know, nuts and bolts of what it was going to take, uh, they kind of got cold feet. And so at that point, um, you know, we decided, and things had changed over time. We brought more partners on, and the way the voting and the business worked was that the, the, the high tech or the advanced technology side of the business had kind of controlling interest in the business. So we, um, we agreed to separate and sell that, the old wood products back to the, to the original partners and, um, and just go on our own. And so at that point, we just thought there's not, if, if we're not all gonna grow and we're just gonna go do all the growth, it's just not worth it anymore to kind of maintain that partnership. So we did that. At the moment that we did that, though, I knew we it was going to be almost impossible for us to get in balance. So we just took kind of what was our industrial wood products, that, that part of the business. We went backwards, right, in terms of diversifying and so on. And so um, so the, the thought process of, well, the bigger opportunity may be to, you know, to look at what we've built from a value perspective and see what that value is on the marketplace. We had been approached several times as we were going through that growth period from 2001 to, to 2010 timeframe. We've been approached by large firms and different companies about potential acquisition. And, um, and so, you know, once we hit that, you know, that point, it was immediately started talking with the, the remaining partners in the advanced technology side about it may be better for us to look at, you know, at we, were, we either had three options was how I saw it. We were either going to take a big ride up and a right, big ride down, right, was, was a very viable option. Um, but that's so painful and it's so hard on people. We just thought, you know, that's not a good, you know, not a great way to go. Or we were going to, um, you know, just make a massive investment and go and, you know, build a plan to go grow it, you know, to the level we needed to. Um, and that was hard for me to visualize. As I, you know, as I said, that's not how we'd operate it. We were much more opportunistic based. And so, um, so that wasn't as attractive to me. And then, um, and then the third was to see if, if the value we built is going to be, you know, if we can kind of maximize that through a sale. And so that's what, that ultimately what ended up happening was, is we, uh, we, we went that direction. And it, it wasn't like we put ourselves up for sale and just went that route. We just had in the time period from the time we took on that big, that big project um, to, it was only over a few years, 2010 to 2012, we won several others and we were on a really good growth plan with that part of the business. But um, none of the rest was, you know, none of the diversifying parts were coming at all. But we got, we were, because of that, we were getting enough attention, we were getting approached. So we got approached probably, th well, not probably, we got approached three times in that. Two of them got pretty close. And then the third one was SSOE and we ended up um, doing a deal. Okay, so the, you stayed on for three years. Um, that was like a term of the deal. Uh, is it hard giving up your control and autonomy? Um, I, I didn't really, I mean, there, at first there was some initial shock, you know, <laughs> I, I call it like shock and awe at the begin, very beginning because you're, you were used to having the flexibility to make decisions that you thought just make sense, you know, and, and you didn't have a lot of uh, people to uh, communicate with to make those decisions. But, but I, it was, I've, from day one in 98, even back in the original company I set up in, in, in uh, Idaho, um, I always had partners. And so I never felt, I mean, it, it was never a clear controlling interest kind of a thing. It was always, 
you know, partners. And so, um, so I never, I never really felt that kind of autonomy. I always felt like, uh, you're always having to, you know, kind of negotiate things through to, to do that. Now, once it was a much bigger organization that the dynamics changed and it was, it was more difficult to, to, to make those kinds of changes. Like I could have done in a, you know, a snap decision and just gone, but the organization I was running was much bigger at that point too. So it wasn't as healthy to just make snap decisions and be shifting direction all the time when you've got, you know, 300 people that are kind of, you know, all in the same boat and going in the same direction. And so, um, so I, I pretty quickly realized that, uh, that, you know, that decision-making process had to change. And, you know, and I, I would say I looked at it as a big growth um, time period, you know, so uh, being able to see, uh, you know, how a company operates that has evolved quite a ways past where, where I where I was at that time, or the company you know Evergreen was at that time, and um, and you know and 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 kind of quickly evolve. Whereas if we would have uh, you know it would have taken us many many years to build up the business systems, build up all the things you need to have to operate at that level. So um, so I, and I even I mean as we were going into it, I just thought this is going to be a really good opportunity to learn you know one way or the other what it's like to operate at that you know another couple levels above where we were at at that point and um and it was i mean it, I, I learned so much in that time period it was you know it was amazing how much you learn it's very different than the entrepreneurial side of things but really understanding you know uh, a, another level of sophistication in terms of business and systems and you know how how all of that is organized and all that it was and I was I've been a member of the board since that time period so I've been you know engaged at that level too so um, so I I you know I would say it, it it was like I said a very short window at the front where it was painful like I I told people that first six months was probably the most painful six months of my life you know going through that period just it was just one thing after another after another and then you know but once you know kind of the the bandaid got ripped off and it's passed then it was. You know, settled out quite a bit, and um, you know, wasn't wasn't that bad. I didn't think after that. So, I mean, that would have been 2016. That your mandatory contract would have like Commitment, expired. Yeah. yeah. What do you see in the future for yourself? So, so right around that time, uh, I so I had been leading this same group, changed names, right? I changed names three times, really. You know, it was uh, Pacific Rim Design originally, and then Evergreen, and then. SSOE, and uh, and and that, and that was you know over a time period of ninety six to two thousand and sixteen, roughly. Um, I was you know I felt like I was solving the same problem over and over again. And so I mean it changed and you know so on, but I was ready for something different. Um, and so uh, our uh, our chief strategic officer approached me about a position. Um, leading the innovation pro or starting an innovation program for the company. And, uh, and so I, I thought, I mean, I was thinking about what, you know, what do I want to do next? I definitely liked, I still, you know, I love the entrepreneurial aspect of things. I, it's something I've really enjoyed. Um, I, I, I think I'm, you know, a pretty fairly creative person in terms of business. Um, and, but what I, my first reaction was, well, there's very different, being entrepreneurial or being innovative, but actually putting a program in place to, to you know, build that for the company and get, it's kind of like the teaching thing, you know, it's like getting people to do that as an organization. I had no idea what that was at the time. So 
Um, so I dove in and, you know, started learning and, you know, uh, found different avenues to, to go down to try and learn about, you know, how do you do this and what's the approach. And it was very, I mean, I was very excited about it. It was funny because I would talk to people who had the title of, you know, uh, manager of innovation or my, my title, senior vice president of innovation. I would tell them this and they immediately they get this look like. Uh, like it was a bad thing or like it was scary to them or something. You know, I, I, I never, I didn't get it. I still don't, honestly, but it was just interesting because you could see people who had done it, they were like jaded in some way and several of them were anyways. So, um, Okay, these are people who had done this exact yeah, same, thing that you're going into. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So the same thing. And so it was just, it was odd to me. And I, I you know, I guess after having now been um, going on, this is my second year actually, you know, in the role, I guess what I would say is that it is a very challenging thing, you know, like we just talked about with entrepreneurial teaching that it's um, it's not a simple thing to, you know, so so of course, as a company, you're going to say we're going to invest in this and we want to get X return on it. We want to, you know, we want to put, you know, this many resources toward it. And, you know, but we have an expectation of a return. And when you're when you're trying to create, it's it's very difficult to provide that level of certainty that a, an established business wants to have. And so I think that's part of where maybe people get a little bit sideways. Um, I haven't felt like I think the group that I'm working with is very, uh, you know, I'd say patient to an extent, but also, um, you know, recognizing that, you know, we, if we if we try and make it too, uh, too rigid, then we're not going to we're not going to get anything going, you know, so I think that's been been OK. Um, but, you know, like I said, that's that's gotten me, you know, re-energized and excited. And so I've been doing that now for, like I said, a year and a half. And and it, it, my approach, though, is similar to what I described earlier. It's been, uh, you know, as an opportunity comes along, then, you know, kind of diving deeply into those opportunities and kind of morphing the program toward those opportunities. So we've had a few in play right now that that have been operating that way. And and it's hard it's a little more difficult in a larger company to because that's not how the company operates you know it's very much here's the direction we're going and we're you know every everything's geared toward that so as these opportunities come up to enhance that but they're a little on the side stream then it's that's that's a a, it's been quite a process to get you know people on board with you know with uh, some of those entrepreneurial opportunities it's Uh, almost like you're fighting the um, inherent like structure of the organization. Like, yeah, we know. talk about that a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, essentially corporations are built to root out inefficiencies and risk, right? Risk is the big part of it. So, so when you start trying to disrupt yourself as an organization, there's a there's a tremendous amount of you know resistance to that that immediately comes up. And I, again, it wasn't something I recognized going in, but it's something that's talked a lot about in you know anything you read about you know trying to do this in larger organizations. And so. Um, but the, the, the good part is recognizing it. And, you know, if you don't recognize it, then it can be very frustrating. I mean, there's times where I'm just, I, I've gotten so frustrated and then I step back and say, wait a second, we're purposely disrupting ourselves here, right? It's going to be, there's going to be some pain associated with that. And then once you recognize it and put yourself in other people's shoes, you realize, you know, I mean, no, there, no one has bad intentions. It's just, it's a natural reaction. It's how the, the whole thing is kind of programmed to work. So. Um, so I, I think it's been healthy as we've gone through some of these initial ones to kind of, kind of feel some of that pain, and then you know I think we've got a few that are teed up. We'll see. I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't know over the long run if the speed at which we're able to make these things move is going to be 
uh, either A, uh, work well enough for the company or B, work well enough for me in terms of what I want to be doing, right? So it's, uh, there's kind of a pace of change. If, if you, you know, if that pace of change is not, you know, is not something, you know, not at a level that I'm happy with or in, in that, that, that directly relates to the return we're getting on it, then, you know, it's not going to work out for everybody. So it's still the jury's out at this point as to whether or not that's going to going to work out over the long run. Super interesting. I don't know. I feel like this is something we could get like real deep on, but we're kind of like <laughs> towards the end of our hour. So. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got basically three more final questions. So what advice do you have for people who are looking to start their own businesses? Be flexible in terms of, you know, don't don't always assume everything you're going to, you know, you've dreamed up or you're thinking is going to be the way it's going to be uh, is going to happen that way. So, you know, if you... Uh, you've got to have some level of flexibility there to, you know, to make things work. It's been my experience anyways. I, I guess I'll always kind of sell the idea of partnering. I, I think the, you can really increase the, you know, the, uh, you know, how much you can do as an individual. The more, you know, if you more open you are to partnering, and it can be as a business, it can be as, you know, actual partners in your business. It can be how you work with your, you know, employees or just, just any collaboration. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just my, you know, in my experience, it's been that's just anything I could have done on my own is magnified by ten or hundreds by being open to partnering and not being fearful of it. So many people are fearful of that. They're like, I'm gonna have to give something. And they're just immediately scared about what they're gonna have to give up. And instead of thinking of it as, you know, I, I can, I always use that mindset. I can have, you know, I can have 100% of nothing or I can have half of something, right? It's like that, just that immediate mindset just is, and it's a tremendous number of people you'll talk to that just immediately go to, you know, it's abundance versus, you know, scarcity, you know, just where people fall on their mindset. So, um, so anyway, I, I guess I would say I'd be, I would really encourage people to be open to partnering is a, is a big thing. And don't be afraid to fail. I guess that's the other part. I mean, failure, you know, fail as early as you can, right? I mean, that's, you know, before everything just completely falls apart. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, you got to have failures to, you know, to make things, ha- you know, really succeed in the long run. Okay, so the next one would be if you can go back, you know, 15 years and give yourself an extra hour a day, how would you spend that extra hour? I, you know, I guess I would probably say it would be it would be more kind of family and life related family, friends, those kind of things. I mean, those are things you I, at least my experience was you sacrifice a lot of things when you you put so much into business and into, you know, uh, you know, that part of your life. And so I would, and I think I have really healthy family situations, I I believe, but, uh, probably extended family and friends is where I, it's probably not as much energy and time. I would, I would have committed more time to that over that time period. Yeah. We've got a street going, not a single person said work. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, do you have a favorite book or two you've read in the last, I I saw that one and I was going to look one up. I read all the time. time. I read all the time, but I don't, the one I did think of now that I'm talking about this was, um, it's, uh, and it's 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 one that I I didn't know anything about when I read it. I just picked it on Kindle, I think, and started reading it, and I just got so engrossed. And it was just like it was like emotional connection to it. And it was the it's it's Ayn Rand out of shrug. And I was just like, and I didn't realize it's like kind of this whole kind of anthem on kind of like the libertarian, the libertarian. Like I didn't know that, but I just totally related to it in terms of the the whole kind of just like 
like I talked about building value and really putting, you know, you know, uh, valuing work and just all these kind of things. And it was, it was clearly, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a big reaction to socialism and communism that was big I in think that she's time period. from like a Soviet or a former Soviet yeah. country. Yeah, yeah. It was very, very clearly that, that was the, you know, a big theme on it. But the whole element of, of, yeah, I would call it, that's a good way, libertarianism, but the idea of, you know, just, you know, building, you know, kind of the American dream kind of thing, right? Where, you know, the entrepreneurs are, you know, building things and really making things happen. And, and it just was like, I mean, I don't, I just emotionally connected to that. It was like one of those that really stuck with me. I would, and it was interesting. So it was maybe, it was almost right after the, you know, we joined with SSOE after the, the company sale. So I don't just randomly ended up picking it, but it like really stuck. Yeah. Thanks for your time. It's a great conversation. Great. Thank you. You can find the newly merged company SSOE at SSOE.com. Before we go, I want to highlight a couple things that I found really insightful. First is Todd's statement that the most important trait of an entrepreneur is the ability to identify value. I think that speaks for itself, but I think in practice it's exceptionally hard to do, especially when you get caught up in thinking about what you want your product to be instead of what other people find valuable. Second, I liked his thoughts on how some people are limited by a fantasy of control. Often the best approach, it seems to me, and I think what worked so well for Todd in growing his company through his major transformations, is to find the existing opportunities and to make them a reality. So instead of looking for a linear improvement, look for those those situations where you have a truly transformational opportunity. Uh, so given all of this and what I learned from him, I really look forward to seeing what he'll produce in his new innovation-focused role going forward. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, whose members were almost burned at the stake for producing music that was just too darn enchanting. You can find their work at cepdx.bandcamp.com, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. If you like this podcast and want to hear more like it, be sure that you are subscribed in your podcast app. Help me reach other people by sharing your favorite episode with a friend. You can learn more about how to get your own entrepreneurial endeavor or idea off the ground by visiting nicholaspeel.com slash coaching. Thanks for listening. See you all next time.